0: championship is the largest mixed martial arts promotion company in the world its popularity increases every year with annual revenue now topping a billion dollars and now ufc has another reason to brag its first israeli fighter
1: what's it like being a ufc fighter and what's it like being an israeli in the ufc our special guest this week ufc fighter natan
0: levy don't push pause you're listening to jewish insiders podcast And Welcome back to the Jewish Insider Podcast. I'm Rich Goldberg. And I'm Jared Bernstein. Jared, we have uh, plenty to talk about in the news today. Obviously, we are in the throes of a major debate, uh, really civil strife in Israel and in the diaspora with respect to some of the reforms being put forward by the current Israeli government. It is consuming a lot of my conversation with peers, colleagues. Family members. Uh, I think it's an elephant in the room that we have not discussed on the show thus far, but it's impossible, I think, especially at this moment, given the big speech that President Herzog gave on Sunday night in Israel. Really hard for us not to move forward without discussing it a little bit before getting to our very special guest.
1: Yeah, I mean, listen, Rich. I think it's a, a fight for the soul of what Israeli democracy is going to look like for the next fifty years. Not to be over dramatic about it, but uh, you know, you have a, a ruling coalition that's trying to change the law and change the way the law operates vis vis the Supreme Court. And and you have tens of thousands of protesters in Israel all over the country uh, expressing their opinions. And, you know, it's really a, a delicate few weeks uh, in, in as it relates to Israeli democracy.
0: Yeah, listen, I have to say that I was a skeptic of the protest movement at the start because, We came through an election here in the United States twice, at least twice, with a country that was incredibly polarized, with civil strife like we've never really seen in a generation or more. We're still dealing with that today. The toxicity of our public discourse at an all-time high, and it felt sort of like that coming out in Israel after... Netanyahu wins and is able to form a right-wing coalition without other members of either centrist or left-wing parties, especially the pendulum swing from the Lapid-Bennett coalition, you know, very centrist, even center-left to some extent, Arab party, now to Bibi back, back in charge, solid majority, and that can freak a lot of people out politically and, and force them into rather American political tactics that we haven't seen before. So I really felt like a lot of that was being channeled here. And I think some of that is true. I think some of that is true. And I think some of the arguments against the reforms that we're seeing are disingenuous. But as I have really taken a very close look at the proposals being put forward and the arguments behind them, there is, I will admit, a a great deal of disingenuousness uh, on that side as well. And I, do I think the soul of Israel is, is on trial here? Do I think that democracy is coming to an end? No, I think that is very much an overstatement. I think it would still be incredibly difficult to get 61 votes in the Knesset to overturn a Supreme Court decision. I just, it's hard for them to do anything with 61 votes, even with this coalition. Uh, so I, I, you know, but, but if I'm being rational here and, and being honest and comparing rule of law separation of powers understanding that israel is unique it is unique it does not have a constitution it does not have true separation of powers the way we think of it in america it's not exactly a british system it's not you know that it is a very unique system having just this knesset which is the both executive and legislative branch with no constitution just this basic law and the Supreme Court, which has, over many, many years, this is not something new that just came out because BB won an election. There have been centrist leaders over years who have been concerned about overreach of the court. In the absence of clear guidance of a constitution, this is a political debate. So where do I come down on this? I think everybody needs to breathe. I think everybody needs to be factual. And I think that if President Herzog is trying to broker real dialogue to bring the temperature down and to try to restore civil discourse in Israel. That is a good thing. And I would hope both sides of this come to the table, find constructive ways to have practical solutions that actually do meet legitimate concerns of overreach by the court without undermining confidence, whether it's in the business community, in the diaspora or in Israel, in the faith of democracy as an institution there. Because ultimately, while it is a Jewish state, much of the defense of Israel worldwide politically does rest on the flourishing of democracy in Israel. If the International Criminal Court, if the UN is coming after Israel, and there are arguments legitimate that undermine that Israel is a democracy, that it has rule of law, that it can investigate itself, that it should not be prosecuted by the international community like it's a pariah state. We know the enemies of Israel won't won't stop. We don't need to give them more arguments. We don't need to give them any ammo. And we certainly cannot have any chinks in the ultimate armor, which is this is a fellow democracy. And that's why we stand with her. So that's a long-winded way of saying I think it's complicated. I don't like the rhetoric uh, I think people should look at the facts. I think there's good points on both sides and a compromise process is what's needed.
1: Well, listen, uh, uh, and as a perfect transition, as my mother would say, don't give them what to talk. And, <laughs> and uh, with that, last week, we talked about my mom, Bobby Bernstein, when we were talking about our, our enunciation. Uh, and my mom, who is the keeper of Yiddishkeit in our house, Wanted to share a text message with her, a text message I got from her about our show last week, um, talking about our pronunciation of several Yiddish words, if, you, if you'll permit me, Rich. Um, quote, hi, Tati. Thank you for making me the Yiddish maven. I'm not really sure I deserve the reference. I just say what I remember from my Bubby and my mom, daddy's grandma, and your grandma, Razi. It's stir. I cut off the ER at the end to say Buhmeister. Some people say bowline stir" by adding an "n." In any event, it means an old wives' tale or an old bubby's tale. We sometimes use it to mean BS story. I know you can't say that on the air. Thanks for the reference to me. I love you, mommy. So there you have it, Rich.
0: So, so Jacob Nagel is is. I mean, he stands with his name cleared. I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean by by your mom,
1: by Bobby Bernstein. So look at anyway. that.
0: So there you go. All right. So there you go. Let's get to it. Okay, let's get to it because this is actually very exciting. Uh, I love sports. I know you do too. I love when I hear about Israelis in sports, when it's Major League Baseball or the NBA, and I actually do secretly love UFC and the fact that there is an Israeli now fighting UFC at age 15. Natan Levy started training Kung Fu and Karate becoming a black belt in both martial arts and a karate instructor, but he wanted more. He flew to Vegas, started training mixed martial arts or MMA, and went undefeated as an amateur fighter. He turned pro in 2018 and joined the Ultimate Fighting Championship in 2021. Natan Levy, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you very much for having me.
0: Listen, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? Uh, who are your parents? Where are, you, where are your family from in Israel? Where did you grow up? How, how is this guy suddenly a UFC fighter? Um,
2: yeah, I was born in Paris, in France. Um, my parents, my dad was uh, born in France, but uh, his parents are from uh, Tunisia. And my mother is from uh, Algeria. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right in English.
0: Oh, you're you're doing I'd great. Absolutely. Yeah, really good.
2: <laughs> and um, I was born in Paris. They, they lived in Paris. Uh, but when I was two months old, we moved to Israel together. Me, my parents, my two older brothers. And I've been in El Celia basically my whole life.
0: Wow, what a classic story. What a classic story. French, Algerian family, moves from Paris to Israel. Son grows up to be in the UFC. Look at that.
1: <laughs> classic. <laughs> so tell us, what do, you, what do you do or what did you do before you were a UFC fighter and how did you, how did you end up there? Because it's a, you know, not the most typical career path for a, for a nice Jewish kid from Herzliya.
2: Um, yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I was always into martial arts and growing up, I always wanted to practice them, learn them. But uh, at a young age, I lacked the discipline and I couldn't really get into it properly. I would start for a month, quit, find it boring or find it too hard or whatever it was. And um, when I was 15 years old, I really got serious about training um, every day and doing kung fu and karate. And by the time I was 18, I was training in Japan and got my black belt there, started teaching for me as a karate you know, practitioner, the next level was just to be like a, a teacher. So I started teaching and I found, uh, I think, a lot of, uh, I had a big passion for teaching people and getting them stronger, more confident, kind of put other people through what I went through, through, through martial arts and all the benefits that it has. And I would, uh, late at night, I would watch the, the UFC you know, watch some fights with friends. And I thought, uh, you know, this is a different sport from what I'm doing. I'm doing one thing, and this is completely different. But uh, I did start to have a fire in me, and I wanted to compete. And, you know, I thought to myself, okay, I'm at the time I was 20, 21, and I said, either I can stay a martial arts teacher now until I'm old. That I can always do. But I only have a short window if I want to do MMA and compete I got to be young. I got to be strong to do it. And I will be much better of a teacher when I do get back to it from my experience as a fighter. And I left everything. I had two gyms in Israel that were doing really well. And I left everything. I closed it down. I gave my students to friends who were teachers uh, so they can keep training. But for me, I went all in, flew to Las Vegas, didn't know anybody uh and just wanted to be a fighter
1: and you found the chabad shlich in las vegas or he found you and invited you over for shabbat no i'm just kidding i'm just kidding
0: a classic, <laughs> almost, story, almost. A classic story other
2: other uh, jewish people helped me find a good coach and i've been with this coach ever since for the past 10 years
0: and uh, he really I'm, took I'm, me under his wing i'm really curious just to go back to sort of the upbringing in israel how you first got exposed to martial arts I remember growing up as a kid, it, it was obvious to me that there was a judo scene in Israel because of the Olympics. And that's sort of what I knew of, you know, Israel doesn't really medal, but they, they medal in judo. You know, that's it, like, you look forward to seeing that, you know, when the Olympics come along. And maybe Krav Maga, right? Because it became a craze here. And everybody got into it. And, oh, yeah, that's what the Israeli army teaches, Krav Maga. But sort of an expansive martial arts scene when you talk about you had two studios and you were thriving as as a teacher in Israel what is the scene like there? How did you get exposed to it is is a large following is MMA have a large following you know what what is that like in Israel?
2: So back then that was the year 2013. MMA was Which very Which Rich small. and I
1: feel really old because you're talking about the year 2013 and it was uh, when you were young. And so anyway, sorry sorry to interrupt you there.
2: Hey, me too. It's when I was young. Not anymore. <laughs> um, but MMA scene was very small. Like you said, the judo has always been big. I think uh, ever since we met all the first time, you know, they put budget into it. Um, and there's uh, this perspective that we can do well in judo but for some reason there's not as perspective like we can do well in mma you know when i said i want to leave everything and go be a ufc fighter people kind of mocked me uh said you know i don't think you should do this gave me a thousand reasons why i wouldn't uh, succeed but i decided to do it anyway and uh you know we would watch the fights at 5 a.m because it's opposite time zones so it wasn't very, uh, you know, easy to watch. It demanded effort, and that's not what you want to get fans. You know, they have to put an effort to watch the product. No, it should be easy to watch. And um, just anybody who happened to know about MMA was exciting. Meeting anybody who knew the name of a fighter was like, wow, you know that niche sport that I know of? Let's talk about it. <laughs> um, but now it's a different story. Now there's uh, tens of thousands of fans in Israel, which is still a small number, but I think we can get a lot bigger. It's always growing. Uh, people know the fighters. Uh, many know me. Anybody who knows the sport in Israel knows me, and um, you know we're making big strides. And I is, think is for-
0: it's it, it just cut you off. Just, is the reason for that? UFC has been doing a good job marketing in Israel. There's, there's greater access to the, to the pay-per-view or to, to the fight, the streaming service, whatever pay-per-view, it is. Pay-per-view, you or, sound
1: really old, Rich. Or, say I don't pay-per-view. even know
0: what's called that anymore. I obviously <laughs> have not paid for it's one. But, but yeah, I think it's pay-per-view. Oh, okay. Thank you. Not, I'm not so old, Jared. Anyways, okay, the, sorry. but, you know, or is it because of you? Like, is it, is it primarily because you and you've gotten attention and people are like, oh, I'm into that?
2: I think it's a mix of many things. One is like with the judo, same thing with like uh, the Kung Fu craze in the 70s, 80s, all that stuff. If people get exposed to MMA, they're probably going to like it. Like you don't need to be, uh, you know, you don't even need to understand the sport to enjoy it at first. Obviously, the more you understand it, the more you're going to enjoy it. But hey, if we're watching a soccer game and there's a fight breaking out on the stands, you know, you're going to watch at the fight and not at the soccer, Right um that's so why we people, love hockey you know, in america yeah, exactly yeah <laughs> so people love fighting um and as long as the product is uh like i said it's easy to watch israeli people are gonna like it so the more they get exposed the more that you get fans some people it might not be to their taste um they might think it's too violent usually because they really don't understand what they're watching but yeah there is blood it is uh you know uh it is Kind of harsh to watch for some people, so okay, maybe they're not the, the the crowd, but most people who watch MMA will love MMA, and we just gotta get more eyes on the screen. I think I play a certain role in that, but there are also other you know big fighters like Noad Lahat, um, other Israeli fighters who got on the map and and put eyes in front of the screen.
0: And I'm curious, just um, what a day in the life is like for a UFC fighter what was it like for you as you were transitioning, you know, from other martial arts into becoming somebody who was going to compete in MMA kind of going to compete for UFC. And now that you're pro that you're in UFC, what is your training regimen? Like what do you do on a daily basis?
2: On a daily basis, I get uh, two to three training sessions in. Yeah. So it's a mix of martial arts. Um, and you know, if um, you do this sport, you got to train many different disciplines. So you got to do boxing, jujitsu, Muay Thai, wrestling, and then you got to do all the physical training, running. Uh, sometimes you swim, you know, your strength training, conditioning, all that stuff. So it's very hard to build the perfect schedule. But basically, less than two or three training sessions a day, you're not going to get enough in in the week to be proficient in all these styles.
0: I remember Michael Phelps, you know, they used to do like these features on Michael Phelps preparing for the Olympics and his like calorie intake and how much he was burning and all like that. You're kind of reminding me of this, the intensity of your workout regimen on a daily basis. I mean, is it something like, like that or or is it it kind of different in like how you have to prepare for your weight and all that kind of stuff?
2: Yeah. So I think the big difference is, again, that, you know, Phelps is a swimmer. So, yeah, there are different styles of swimming, but he's going to get in the pool probably every day. Um, And other than that, do his strength training, possibly. I don't know if he runs or if he doesn't. Uh, But for me, I got to do different sports, basically. One is the wrestling, one is the boxing. So what other, let's say, a wrestler would have to wrestle at least once a day and the rest would be extra? I can't just wrestle once a day and leave it at that. I got a box too. I got a strike. I got a spar. Uh, So a lot of training sessions, it's a lot of load. That's why you also got to do recovery as far as ice baths and sauna, massage, physical therapy. All that stuff is very important because if not, our body is going to break down. And of course, um, other than that, you know, I have a family life. My wife, you know, I try and get a, a date in every day with her, at least uh, to get a coffee or something or spend some time together. Uh, I do some public speaking. I go to schools and speak to kids um, or do podcasts or interview. I always try to, uh, you know, promote my message. And, and um, like the message, you know, we're going to speak about it, but basically I want to get it to as many years as possible. Uh, and that's it but basically biggest thing training and then resting
0: and you you talked about this a little bit when you're talking about through your experience as you were getting into mma you talked about the benefits the lifestyle benefits the life benefits that you see for for listeners who are not as familiar um i mean i think we a lot of us did Taekwondo as kids, or something, because our parents wanted us to do something, right? And we, we made it to some belt, and that, you know, was sort of it. But there were like ethos involved in the martial arts. There were values expressed to us by, by our teachers. What, what is it that you sort of have in your heart uh, of why you do this? What is it? Why is it meaningful to you? What are the benefits that you see uh, of being in, in this martial arts?
2: As far as martial arts go, I think it's a life changer. And for me growing up, I was uh, very insecure. And uh, on one hand, on the other hand, uh, I would never back out from a fight. And I had many fights growing up. And I think instead of being on two extremes, uh, martial arts actually gave me the balance. Uh, not, not wanting to fight, but you know, if I needed to, I had the tools. And I would only fight to defend myself. I think that's a, a big thing. Um, especially today, you know, I recommend to any Jewish kid, any kid around the world, to do martial arts. Not only will it prevent you from being bullied, but it'll also prevent you from being the bully. So, t- so, Nathan, tell us more about that.
1: Right, preventing you from being the bully.
2: Yeah, you know, people who bully usually they they are hurting as well. And um, not that it's a magic. It fixes everything, but martial arts really, like I said, it brings you balance. Uh, It creates a lot of uh, camaraderie in the gym, on the mats. Uh, On one hand, you get stronger and you get more confident. Uh, You can see it, you know, when you land the punch, when you land the kick. On a heavy bag or on a sparring partner, you can tell you've become stronger. You know you're skilled. On the other hand, there's always somebody on the mats that could kick your ass and it develops humbleness. <laughs> so, you know, you're strong, but you know, there's always somebody maybe stronger and you should, uh, you know, you shouldn't be looking for a fight. Um, you know, I think it's great. It requires discipline, being on time, doing what the teacher, the coach says. Um, you know, again, a kid that, that is coachable is a, a kid that is, um, uh, that can listen, that can take, um, uh, like, accept s- somebody being above him, telling him what to do. Sometimes we need that in life. We need to, like, uh, from a young age, uh, hold our ego on a leash. You know, you don't want to get the crazy ego. I think martial arts keeps your ego in check, uh, keeps you in check. But on the other hand, when you build ma- mastery in one field, that is punching, kicking, or throwing, uh, you know, and other people on the mat in judo or whatever it is. When you've developed this mastery in one field, you actually realize that you can develop mastery in anything else you want in life and you know what it requires and you know, you can do it.
1: Uh, I'm the parent of two kids who do jujitsu. I have a 12 year old and an eight year old. They're both competing this weekend. Um, and I could not agree more. Uh, our 12 year old's been at it for five, six years. Our eight year old's been at it for three year old three years and they take the ups and the downs, and it's not so easy. And some days they come home from the gym and they're really pissed off because somebody who has a lower belt in them threw them around. But it takes that mental toughness. It's the it's the, the human chess match, they call it, right? And they are better for it. And uh, I couldn't agree more. Sorry to be the, uh, you know, you're supposed to be the expert, but as a parent who sees their kids every day multiple times a week in this, I could not agree more with that.
2: Absolutely. Me too. And I will add that, uh, martial arts where there is competition, basically combat sports, um, or even, you know, it's a level up because not only you face challenges on the mats, then you actually go have to go out and compete against people. You don't know there's more pressure, more nerves. And when a kid goes, uh, you know, I feel like today in our society, everything is like participation prize. Right? And oh, it doesn't matter who's the winner who's the loser. It does matter, but when you go to those nerves of getting to competition day, and you know you've trained very hard for it, and you get in on the mat with all the nerves, all the pressure, everything, and you give it your best, win or lose, you're a winner for life.
0: I'd love to take this now to your to your career, now, your experience. Uh, eight and one, I believe, overall pro. Uh, two and one so far. UFC. Uh, the opening fight, uh, your premier UFC was a loss, but you've now won two in a row since then. What have you personally sort of learned in this process so far? Three fights in UFC. Are you know are are you come out of these fights learning more about yourself, about, about your opponents, about the craft, and and where do you go from here uh, after your third? Uh,
2: you know, fighting is all about learning. And uh, you can learn from your losses and you can learn from your wins. Better learn from the wins. And, uh, <laughs> you know, my first fight in the UFC, I think uh, as far as losing, you know, it was a very close fight. I accept that I, that I lost. But on the other hand, when I came out of the cage, I was, you know, on one side very disappointed. But on the other side, I saw that I belonged. And I felt like uh, no matter how hard you train, no matter how much success you have outside the UFC, you know that when you get in there, it's going to be fighting the best fighters on on planet Earth. And, um, you know, just being in there and and getting that kind of nod when it's a close decision and you're like, hey, I belong. Uh, Maybe I didn't get the win, but I'll get the next one. And I know, um, you know, there are no more doubts.
1: So let me ask you a question. When is the next fight? When are we going to see you again? I mean, we have a large listenership at Jewish Insiders Podcast. They're all fans of yours now. When are we going to see you next?
2: April 29. I'll be fighting in Las Vegas against uh, Pete Rodriguez. Um, He's a tough uh, fighter, tough opponent. All his wins are are by uh, knockout. I think most of them are in the first round. So he's going to come out... uh, Guns blazing, and I'll return to favor. <laughs> <Love
0: it. laughs> all right, so so, Love we got, all right, so we got to get a J.I., Jewish Insider, reserve block. Got to find out what hotel hotel you're going to be at. So that's uh Road that's trip. Yeah, exactly. Road yeah, to all trip. of our listenership. You wanted to send on <laughs> Vegas, April 29th. Uh, a lot of news, uh, just to get a little bit serious for a second, then we'll come back to to sort of your personal story. Uh, a lot of news in the last couple of weeks over Joe Rogan, the UFC color commentator, obviously has one of our competitor podcasts, we'll call it. It, it may be larger, uh, defending Ilan Omar on his uh, podcast. And then in the process of that, making some pretty uh, bad anti Semitic remarks. Uh, obviously, somebody who is a UFC fighter um, in that world. Uh, I imagine you have some reactions to that as well.
2: Uh, yeah, I do. You know, I posted a, a video about it. Basically, you know, I think he's defending her. He doesn't know what he's talking about. I think, uh, you know, I am a listener of uh, his uh, show from time to time, and I think he's the first one to know uh, to say that he doesn't know what he's talking about. And I think uh, he was right on with this one. He had no idea what he was talking about. Uh, He was spewing uh, what I think is hate propaganda. I don't think that was in his intention. But as far as saying that Jewish people are so into money is like saying that uh, Italians people love pizza. No, it's not the same. Uh, Six million Italians were not killed because they love pizza. It would be more aligned with saying that uh, Italians are lazy or thieves or crooks or anything like that. Would be more of a comparison. But you wouldn't say that. So why say the other one?
1: No, not not. not- Tell us about life, like, in America. Do you live in Vegas? Do you do your whole life in Vegas? Do you travel around America? I mean, there aren't that many Israeli or Jewish UFC fighters in the world. And I would imagine, you know, places like New York, Chicago, South Florida, people want to see you and be around you, or is it pretty much a Vegas-centered existence where you're training and working?
2: Yeah, I live in Vegas, um... For me, it's, uh, it's a different Vegas than other people's. And uh, me, I'm like a monk. You know, I'm in Vegas, but it's home to the gym, to the house, to the gym, to the house.
1: So not the blackjack table? The N- not the
2: Baccarat table. You won't find me yeah. there. And not the clubs. Never put, never put a foot in them. Uh, I'm all about this, uh, this dream, this passion of mine. And like I said, uh, from the first day, I've been all in. You know, I live by a sentence, by a quote, single-mindedness is all-powerful. Only if you're single-minded, you can achieve uh, something big. So I'm very single-minded about my goal. Uh, I got this opportunity, you know, to, to even compete in the UFC on two days' notice. Somebody fell uh, ill to covid and they asked me if I was ready to step in on two days notice on Dana Watts Contender Series. Hmm. And, you know, luckily COVID-19, you know, we were in the shutdown. Nobody was training. I was in, I was in the park four or five hours a day training, uh, doing everything I could to be ready because I knew that uh, chaos is a ladder and an opportunity will, will reveal itself and I will be ready. And that's what happened. Two days notice, took a fight on Contender Series, one weight class above me. The guy was like seven foot tall, and I finished him in round three, got a contract. uh, And I've been single-minded still ever since.
0: And what is your goal now? What is your next big thing? You know, you've come this far. It seems like, as you said, single-mindedness has gotten you here every single step of the way you've dreamed big, you've, you've gotten the opportunity, you've stepped in and gotten it, you're now in UFC. What is the next logical step for you? What is the next objective here?
2: Uh, right now, I just renewed my contract with the UFC. So I was at uh, two and one. Um, I had one more fight left on my older contract. You know, the moment uh, if they want to keep you, they're going to resign you uh, prior to that, so they did. I got a new fight deal. I have four fights, I wanna win them all. And I wanna be ranked in the next uh, year. And from there, you know, climb the rankings uh, up to a, a world championship. But uh, you know, there's a staircase and I wanna go step by step. I'm not gonna jump five steps, end up falling down all the staircase. So right now my goal in front of me, April 29th, Speed Pete Rodriguez. And I'm gonna give him hell. That's my real focus. Anything else is a distraction.
1: Jewish Insider will be covering that fight for sure.
0: Maybe live. Maybe live. Who knows? Maybe Maybe. Rich and I will be in the front row. Yeah, that'd be great. I'll be be cage side. It'll be good. Yeah.
1: Nathan, how is the relationship with you and the local Jewish community? I mean, you're an outsider, but now an insider. And you know, Vegas is where people come from all over the place to find their dreams. UFC, casino, entertainment, what, whatever.
2: I have a great relationship with the Jewish community. And uh, like I said, most of the time I'm from the gym to my house. I don't have too much uh, time for extra activity, but whenever I can uh, go to speak to the youngsters at the, you know, IAC or a local school, uh, I gladly do it. Uh, I received uh, an award from the IAC, which was very, uh, you know, moving for me. And, um, Yeah, I think, you know, I talked to the rabbi many times about doing some self-defense seminars for the Jewish kids. I don't want anybody to get bullied uh, from my people in my city. Uh, And obviously, I'm always talking about every Jewish kid should learn self-defense. You know, we see what's going on in America, in Israel. Um, If you're a Jew, you should know how to defend yourself
0: and you talked about a little bit about that you do some motivational speaking as well uh like this um if if there's somebody who's listening right now who's in Boston or who's in Chicago or Miami or New York uh as Jared would would want to go first uh Thank you know are, you. given your training schedule are you able to like take a day trip to to do a motivational speech uh whether it's it's company a school things like that or is it more people who are coming to vegas conferences he's a monk like rich i know the, the gym, monk but how do you the home, get the I monk mean, you got to get the the monk still does motivational speaking we got to find out how.
2: <laughs> yeah i can travel you know depending on how close i am to a fight right now you know my fight is uh, i think 10 weeks out so i still have plans to travel i think uh, two more times before i really get dialed in and then i'm not going anywhere I'm going to be fully focused because, uh, this goal and this message of mine, um, you know, it relies a lot on me winning and me, uh, being out there. And I only get a microphone after the fight if I win. So a big part of me, um, you know, doing what I do and, and pushing the message is winning. Uh, Obviously I also want to win for myself. It's not just for that, but uh, it goes hand in hand. Um, so I have two, two spots that I'm going to fly out uh, to Miami and maybe to New York in the next uh, month. And then that's it. I'm staying in Vegas uh, full time.
1: So Nathan, let me ask you a question. First of all, when you're in New York, I'm happy to take you for the best kosher barbecue in the city of New York. Uh, Sounds good. A, um, but... Do you have a favorite martial arts or boxing movie in English? Is it Rocky? Is it Kickboxer?
0: Is it Bloodsport? Oh, Bloodsport! Like, do you good. have a favorite wow, good one? Good reference. Bloodsport. Yeah, good reference. Bloodsport, Bloodsport is very good.
2: Um, <laughs> <Sorry>. Kickboxer.
0: Kickboxer.
2: <laughs> kickboxer Why? is great. Rocky really inspired me. I think from a young age uh, to pursue. You know, like I said, I wasn't even training, but I thought I was going to be a boxer. No need to train, but I'll be a boxer. Um, And, um, you know, one movie that I think is very underrated is uh, Kung Fu Panda. (laughs) (laughs) And I think the message, you know, if you remember, finally, have you watched it?
0: Yeah, Yeah, of course. I don't want to spoil it. it. I think we're going to say Beverly Hills Ninja. That would, have been, that would have been great too. But yeah.
2: I don't want to spoil it. So if anybody hasn't watched it, cover Years for a second. But, uh, you know, he gets the Dragon Scroll and it's empty. There is no secret ingredient. It's all hard work. Everybody wants to know what's the secret? How do I get flexible? What's the secret? How do I get into the UFC? You got to grind. You got to put your nose down and work hard, hard, hard for years. And when I met my coach, uh, Jimmy Gifford, 10 years ago, and he took me under his wing, he told me it's going to get you it 's going to take you 10 years to get to the UFC. Are you willing to work hard for 10 years? And I said, yes, and we did it in seven. Uh, now is the 10 year mark that we started training, and you know, I already had three fights in the UFC plus a contender's fight, but um, it's a lot of hard work. There is no secret ingredient, so I love that movie.
0: That's a great answer. Do you, we asked this of all our guests. Do you have any favorite Yiddish words or phrases? Or also or Hebrew. Hebrew or Arabic, whatever is, is sort of your favorite go-to.
2: We don't talk too much uh, Yiddish in uh, Tunis and Algiers, but uh, <laughs> um, I don't know. I teach all the Americans Yala. Everything yalla. is Yala. Yalla. Yalla. Yalla yeah, all my American friends. Yala, let's
1: go. Okay, what is your favorite Jewish food? It could be a Sephardic, Ashkenazi, or all of the above.
2: Um, maybe a shakshuka or a jachnun, some breakfast stuff.
1: Is there a it, good shakshuka
0: it, it, in Las Vegas?
1: Yeah, there is. Good.
0: Why are you so surprised by that, Jared?
1: I don't. I, I think New York is the center of the universe, and if it's not New York, I have a hard <laughs> yeah. time believing it something. I,
0: I have confidence the Adelsons found a way to have Good Chuck Shuka in Las Vegas over over many decades.
2: We got a bunch uh, of good spots.
0: My last question is: Do you have a favorite venue in Vegas? Whether it's the best hotel you've been in, the best actual sporting venue, the best place you'd like to hang out? What, what, what's like you're like, wow, I love, I love this spot in Vegas.
2: There's a lot of spots, but I think one that is special to me is the Thomas and Mack Arena. This is where, they, where I had my first amateur fight ever. Now, I don't, I don't come from a competition background. I come from a traditional martial art background. So when I was doing karate, I was training for years, but I never competed in my life. I decided I was going to do this MMA thing, go all in. Uh, and then I spent a few years training. I was going back and forth. I would I had a, on my French passport a three months uh, visa kinda. So I would fly to the US, train for three months, go back to Israel, save money, uh, work for six months. and then I would go back to America, train for three months. I did this for three years before I had my first ever amateur fight. It was the first time I ever competed in my life, and it was at the Thomas and Mac. In front of eighteen thousand people, got the stepped into the the cage and got a submission in fifty seconds. Uh, was my first win ever, my first fight ever, and that's the best memory I have uh, in Vegas. Better than even getting signed to the UFC. All this stuff, I worked so hard for this moment, for this win. Um, so I love the Thomas and Mack.
0: That's awesome. Natan, thank you so much for joining Jewish Insider Podcast. We look forward to seeing you fight. Good luck in the upcoming fight in April, April 29th in Vegas uh, against Rodriguez. Uh, Good luck. We'll be rooting for you.
2: Thank you very much. Thank you for having me.
1: Rich, all I can think of at the end of that interview with Natan Levy is, or Levy, sorry, in the the Sephardic pronunciation, uh, is that I'm picturing Oceans 11 and Ruben uh, saying, you know, in the same room as a promoter for Natan Levy and going to fight in one of Terry Benedict's casinos. And so I can't wait till his fight in April. I think we should do a road trip and be ringside or cage side, do a live Jewish Insider podcast from Natan Levy's fight uh, in Vegas. And, and, and maybe Ruben will join us po- courtside.
0: I, I listen. I'm I'm all in. I, I I do have a faint recollection that fights are typically on Shabbat. Um, and I think so they're usually after dark. We we uh, well, we just need to get with the Chabad Rabbi in Vegas, figure out what what you know the whole deal is. You know, have the hetter that that you need to to be blessed to to do whatever to support because it's a kiddush hashem. I would imagine I mean, well, uh, Absolutely Having an Israeli beat the heck out of out of some American in the ring, I think that's, I think that's great. I think that's great. Um, so, All right. I- <laughs> let's do it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Ed-
1: ed- editors, if you're listening, let's go. Rich and I want to go to Vegas. If you like this show, help us get the word out to other people. Mm-hmm. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And most importantly, tell your friends because it's the best recommendation we can get.
0: Until next time, this is Jewish Insiders Podcast. Thanks for listening.